0: Welcome to the sixth episode of the GTM podcast. Go to Masters is a podcast where we interview the GTM leaders from today's most dynamic companies. The unique insights, hard earned lessons, and innovative vision are the stories that we bring to you every week. I'm your host, Alad, Head of Growth and Demand at Everstage, and I'm happy you're going to be listening to this today. Our speaker for today's episode is Shantanu Seger, who's currently the Senior Director of GTM Operations for Gong. And leads their go-to-market strategy, process excellence, and cross-functional alignment for their international markets. He also leads Gong's account management team in EMEA, which is focusing on driving value for their existing customers in the region. Prior to Gong, Shantanu held key revops and GDM leadership positions at LinkedIn and Nitro, and is a former management consultant from Bain. Lovely to have you on the podcast, Shantanu. Like you know, do we want to introduce yourself for our
1: viewer? Absolutely delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, and also, I was probably one of the first few customers for Everstate, so I'd like to be here from that from that lens. Um, so, yeah, so thanks for laying it out in terms of my profile. I would say the way I would probably describe myself is I've been in the revenue operations world for the better part of a decade now. And I've really been delighted to see the evolution of the entire function as a whole. Of course, there's so many statistics about how it's the fastest growing function. Uh, I think head of RevOps is the fastest growing job title in the last five years in the U.S. as well. So uh, delighted to be part of that movement. Uh, and I would the only thing I'd probably add is I'm based in Ireland, been here for the last eight years, yeah. and uh, excited to be here. And like you know,
0: how does the transition from like you know consulting to RevOps? Because I think a lot of people usually have the transition because uh, I think management consulting has the same level of standards that you have to. Having.
1: yes spot on i think and and, and i i made that change about like i said about about 8 years ago i was a, i was a management consultant at at bain i'd seen a few people make that move into tech at that point linkedin was almost a i'd say startup scale up uh, yeah. at that point point. and the interesting part which to me jumped out is if i think about the three big core characteristics of what i think drives success in revops is very similar to what i've seen drive success for management consultants and those are for me thought leadership, which is basically problem solving, ability to really go in and crack challenges for companies. Second to me is process leadership, which is everything from, and I think the way I define RevOps is it's both optimizing the process from a customer lifecycle standpoint, as well as a talent lifecycle perspective. And the third for me is all about people leadership, because you have to not just solve problems, but really drive change and communicate, whether it's in partnership with stakeholders, leading your own teams, there's a lot of overlap between the two, I, I feel.
0: And, and you were in LinkedIn for close to five years, if I remember correctly.
1: That is how, fair. How
0: was the transition from, like, you know, in, in your words, Shantran, as somewhat of a startup to, like, you know, an enterprise giant today?
1: Yes. And 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 again, I was obviously exaggerating a little bit. But if I think about those in those five years, when I joined LinkedIn, um, I, had, I was part of their a uh, European, Middle East, and Africa business, which is, again, headquartered in in, in Ireland. Um, and it was a massive growth. In those five years, I think the even that part of the business grew more than 5X. Um, and there was a lot of changes. It almost starts with building the foundations. I remember we did a lot of work then about, this is what we're building the foundation, having a very clear vision of where we want to be, where we are, and then really how we execute it towards it. But a great, great experience. And I think the biggest... Question: I think most companies. You you also brought it up. How do you move towards being almost enterprise scale? It's a I would say a balance of keeping the founders' mentality of let's go in break things, learn quickly, and then ship, fix, ship, fix. Uh, but the second piece I think is also very important: is actually building that vision from a longer term perspective. Right? How do you how do you build processes to scale? Not just for the size you are now, but five years from now. And I had the I had the great experience of working with some really strong minds who were thinking in that mindset people like the three things linkedin had was leadership leverage and results and leverage the the core part of it was how do you scale so yeah love love that experience
0: you you are part of the like a major part of the emea market in your time mm-hmm. at linkedin postat and nitro and now and gong mm-hmm. so h- how do you approach the emea market because most of the companies end up getting like you know started in the us yes. and then expand mm-hmm. here so yes. there's always like you know there is a lag between like you know this is a new region new experiment and when it comes to operations uh, you're tasked with holding everything together yes. and mm-hmm. everything is aligned towards uh, the like you know the mothership so yes. how do you approach the EMEA market, i love the
1: love the question there Adir, because if i think about the amia market there are two parts i'll talk about here which is one is literally more or less the uniqueness of amia as a market and second, again, on from an operation standpoint, how do you approach it to make it more almost seamless with how you're approaching globally? On the first part, I think a lot of us think about oh, I mean as a simple acronym, which should be a very uniform way of approaching. But in in a in a sense, and I know you you obviously have a, some experience with APAC yourself, it is quite complex. There's so many different countries, there are so many different languages. There are over a over a hundred countries in that big set we're talking about. And if I think about languages, the regulations, there's so many nuances and variations from country one to country B. So it's almost creating those sets of, these are the three segments of EMEA. When you say EMEA, there's like, there's, let's say, if you're an American company starting out, number one is these are similar enough to the to the US. So for instance, it would be UK and Ireland, which becomes one big market where to a large extent, there are a lot of similarities. There are still nuances and differences. You, you have that set up. Then you approach the the second second wave of markets, which are massive in terms of GDP. You have Germany, you have France, which are big big companies, and then a few others around that. Netherlands, from a tech perspective, is a huge adopter of of tech. So how do you approach that? And the third, to me, is everything else, and you try and figure it out, depending on your own strengths, where you fit versus not. And and as you make that transition, it's literally thinking about where do you fit from not just a value proposition perspective, but how do how does your product engage with the regulations GDPR is obviously massive in, in, in Europe but how do you really become compliant so that's that's step one almost foundational once you've set it up once you have that set up and I'll go more to the execution operation side then I think as and again I'm thinking from mindset of a U.S. headquartered company open, operating in EMEA in from an operation standpoint the three ways to think about number one setting the right landing team you need to ideally find someone from a whether it's, you want to call it a GM mindset, who is who could be leading your function here, even if it's a strong sales leader with a good operations partner, that could be a great uh, great setup as well. And I've seen that work well. That's step one. You get that in, you try and get some learnings. But the second piece is on a daily, day-to-day management, right? And to me, the part I've seen really work well is how do you get some of the unique goodness coming bottom up from here, almost Because you have a very unique situation. We have so many languages, so many different uh, regulations I mentioned, and so many different types of customers, essentially. So you can pilot most things first in Europe. If you're successful in EMEA, you're going to be successful anywhere, right? So that's, I think, has been a very handy set of how do you find some of those pockets of excellence that you can try out here and move from. And then the second part, you then balance what are some of the global pieces you have to deliver on? And, and the match of and if you think about the certain global priorities, what is the AMIA flavor of those? So if so, literally, if if you're an operations exec person or a RevOps person in Amia, in, in think about it from those two buckets. These are global priorities. How do I make that work? And second bucket, here are unique AMIA ideas initiatives which we can really make accelerate. And, and the third part, which I think is super helpful. And I'm putting a customer lens here, is AMIA customers love to give feedback. And give very, very transparent feedback with no sugar. So trying to get that feedback back to your mothership, wherever the product team is, is really helpful.
0: I think that's a wonderful way to put it out, Shantanu. I think uh, this, it's it's super complex, right? So I think I've heard the same from, like, you know, my work days as well. So, yes. like, you know, uh, Armani, one of them, like, you know, again, like consulting background person mm-hmm. came and started the region. And he used to say this, right? like. There's so many ethnicities, so many languages, and everything together. So, to keep everyone in the same office and align them and build that culture, I think it's a very special thing to do. And it's not a lot of time every company gets it right, right? So, it takes a lot of like, you know, experimentation to get it. But interesting to know about like, you know, uh, RevOps anemia, especially. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, uh, RevOps is again like, you know, the new role starts again, like, you know, expanding first in the US. So, most of your thought leaders and people mm-hmm. who are there it gets started there. so how do you like you know assist the develop maturity talent in the like you know europe market today uh,
1: very good point Dharad. so i think i would say yes we have probably a much smaller set of people again if i think about it, i'm sure all of us hopefully a lot of our listeners are also members of a few slack communities and so on which are all i would say u.s in terms of concentration and have a lot of um people from there but we i have seen in the last Three years, even more so than previously, um, and almost acceleration of the number of RevOps professionals we're seeing in Europe. Um, and I'll start with that rather than broader, broader Emiya. But I think within some of the core markets that I talked about, there are a lot more companies who have been setting up, and a lot of people are almost making that transition from being a little bit of generalist a few specialists in a few areas, and, and we're coalescing more towards that broader RevOps talent. But on that maturity curve, you're right, we're still. We're still maybe three years behind where the U.S. is now. To that effect, one of the things I've been trying to really do, and I've I've been very enthused by the by the response I've got. I've been trying to evangelize almost the RevOps ecosystem here. Um, in fact, we now have we set up a, a LinkedIn group. We now have more than hundred members of RevOps leaders from across EMEA on it, and trying to just create more more momentum and get more activity around that. But it's it's very I think. To be fair, I think other piece I've seen very interestingly is while it's a smaller group, a lot of them have either worked with US companies, have been in the US, come back, have brought those learnings across, or those who've been really building and building big companies here. So how do you how do you really operationalize and get RevOps going? I think that that's a good learning that they have already.
0: For someone starting from scratch, right? Like what would you recommend for them to go build a RevOps function today?
1: Great and that's not necessarily for a me alone right it's just building a RevOps function so i think uh, and i i had the i had the chance of doing this really especially in my previous role when i was in nitro uh, just for context it is it's a, about a 50 million arr or slightly somewhere there uh, between 1500 now and i was setting up the RevOps function had a team to work with but i think the number one thing that i did and, I, and it really came in handy was start with start with what's the vision And I know there's so many different frameworks about vision to values, vision, vision, mission, priorities, alignment, strategy, and so on. But I think while they sound a lot like words, but literally putting that on a piece of paper and then getting that alignment with your go-to-market leadership is so crucial because if you're setting up a RevOps team and you want that RevOps team to really drive impact, you have to be in lockstep with... Your if you have heads of sales, heads of marketing, heads of customer success, whatever that looks like. But also with your CFO, ideally in the long run, what I did, what I found handy was even with the CEO, what is the vision for RevOps from your perspective? How do we operate? Once you've got that logged in, that's like that's step one. Then you go down that pretty much pyramid of of how you're into action, right? So you have the vision. You have, and, and again, the way I defined it was almost to me, RevOps was the other side of the coin with the go-to-market leadership where the focus for the go-to-market leadership was to really coach and drive value. RevOps was literally foundational to all strategic and operational elements to drive towards that mission, right? So towards the company mission. And and then and then literally then dovetail that into what it means from an org standpoint, how many people can you, and, and again, like I said, it's, it's a balance of acting now and thinking long-term for the where you could be three to five years from now and start building that org part. And then from there, going into almost the brass stacks of what are different roles and responsibilities. Again, across that customer lifecycle, across the talent lifecycle, what is the role that RevOps plays? So it can be a very, very, it can sound quite daunting when you think about it from a broader sense. But once once you get down to the brass stacks of, this is this is an aligned vision. This is how we'll get to it. And then it's almost just a lot of community, again, again, it's closing the loop, and I communicate a lot back to the same stakeholders back to the broader team, and then set up, I would say a cadence and operating rhythm around that. And that really helps drive a very, very high functioning DevOps team to me.
0: With that context, Shantanu, so see, as a leader, you will have this clarity, you get to work with a lot of those cross functional leaders as well to get that clarity and align, right? But when you go hiring a new person to join your team, you're going to have to like, you know, align them towards a particular function or a particular yes. area. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you evaluate them? My first part of the question was, is how do you evaluate when hiring for those? And second, like, you know, how do you coach them into like, you know, getting all this, because it's, it's a complex strategy, right? Like, so how do you sort all of this together and make them a successful ramped revops
1: person? Great. How much time do you have? Added? Because I can talk about this for days, <laughs> and, this, and this requires a lot of time. And, and again, um, to me, this is probably the number one thing on most RevOps leaders' mindset, right? literally hiring the right talent and then helping them develop and grow right, as you're coaching them. So I'll start with the hiring part. And to me, it goes back to, I think, what I mentioned in the beginning about the three characteristics to me that jump out, right? It's all about thought leadership, process leadership, people leadership, and the two ways that I try and test for this. And again, different people have different ways of doing this. Um, to me, there's an element of what you can get in terms of e- examples across e- each of these pieces. So I try and really understand that from past situations. The the, the interviewer could, uh, interviewee could have been in uh, past companies. They work, but even just understanding what were some projects where they really were able to drive very clear results, and how did they do it, just so understanding both the what and the how in terms of how they did it to really drive through those points of especially the thought leadership and process leadership can come can come out very clearly. Um, the second piece in terms of um just trying to get a sense of and, and this is where my my consulting background comes in handy. I think giving a very short problem to solve, because again I think back of it, when I think back to it, a successful drive person will be quite happy solving problems. And it doesn't matter whether that person is on the is on the strategy side and the process side and the system side on data but it's literally being being successful or being being quite comfortable with running towards problems rather than away from problems so i would do like a short case study case interview This is where my consulting background comes in but i don't i don't think of doing like a long-drawn process where you're giving someone a case study to come back and and really whether you're not you're not really getting a sense of how their mind is working and approaching a problem so it's more to do with how you define the problem how do you think about not just the problem definition and approach but how do you, how do you tackle and then more more importantly communicate this is where the people leadership piece comes in because for me in most most successful devops projects that i've seen in the past maybe 30 40% of the of the work is actually building the solution and doing which i think is is really tough and foundational once that part what i might call table stakes to being a successful devops person is done how do you then translate and drive change? How do you communicate to the right people? How do you make stakeholders move? How do you really make, and I'll just give you a small example, you you implement you bought a new system. Um and how do you drive adoption across the board? How do you get the everyone from top of the chain from the leadership down to the the final front facing is a sales up uh, use tool, really understand what the benefits from that are. So that entire piece comes through maybe in a case study or even a case let if I might call it in a case interview rather than a takeaway home test. So that's the two pieces I tend to do examples and cases. And then on the develop and grow piece, which I think is a is a much much bigger question, uh, to me there are different elements of it, right? There's the there's the there's the broader piece on how and and by this, there's no one one size fits all. Um I mean, just like, we sure... go,
0: go in there, Shantram. So one follow-up, yeah. person, right? So the common thing in the interview process with RevOps is like, you know, should you consider data? analysis as a main skill for the person or is it okay to not have data because if they're gonna work with a lot of senior leadership or stakeholders is it better to have someone who's more external facing who can handle those tough conversations so how, how do you balance right like sometimes it's okay to not have data but sometimes there is data as a skill but it's usually like you know uh, it's a very tough thing that most of our has to be made right like are they good at data should I prioritize for that
1: it's a good question and I think the way I would probably answer that is. There is a certain level of data literacy or experience which is key, and maybe the I can I can make it come alive with an example, right? Let's say, and you're hiring a you're hiring a DevOps leader who's probably even managing, say, a team of decent-sized enterprise company where you have a team of 50 people working with the DevOps leader. But yes, they don't need to go in and build a, a Tableau dashboard. They don't need to go in and be very very proficient with R and SQL and so on. However, when they're having a conversation like, and like this conversation about Oh wait, so we're we're thinking about doing A B C initiatives, which will give us a YZ conversion rate and so much impact. What's that number? What does it how does it impact your plan? So just being able to think in that um, almost language very, very cleanly and make those some of those calculations on the fly, those are crucial to just be able to t- help make decisions there. So I think there's there's a certain amount of comfort with data, which which I think is is what I would, I would say is important. And to me, that's all part of that thought leadership and problem solving part, because depending on who and where you're interacting, you really need to drive that. Now, on the second side, when I'm looking at a RevOps analyst or even more like an IC on the RevOps side, I think having data literacy would be core because unless unless you have that data back experience or learning or even education, it would be very difficult for that person to make impact because then they're just coming with opinions rather than 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 facts. So I think that's what I would say. The line is again, yes, a certain one for everyone, but we can go deeper depending on the role. And then some of the roles might, you're looking for, you could be looking for a data scientist specifically to drive your insights function. Then it's a very different conversation.
0: That's quite interesting how you put that. Let's go back to the earlier question. Correct, yes. How do you so, ramp and coach?
1: Perfect, so ramp and coach. And I think, and this is why it's, I would say it's almost like, a, it is different for everyone. But let's say you, you've got a new person come in. Uh, I would almost think if, if you're familiar with the sine curve, the way it goes up and down, think of a sine curve and a two by two where you're talking about time and and along with time, which is the x-axis, along with time you have let's say capability, which grows over time, assuming in most cases it should. And on the y axis, you have confidence, right? Which is basically your confidence in, in, in being able to stand up and 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 drive impact. In most cases, when you hire someone, they start at the top of the sign curve. They're very confident, they've got a new job, they know they're here to solve. Week one, they start the onboarding, that confidence plummets, right? And then, and then over time, so if I think about that sine curve, right, where you have, let's I mentioned the x-axis and the y-axis, where you have confidence on the y-axis and the, and the x-axis of um, time and, and capability, it's really crucial about how you're using both formalized training, as well as what I would call on-the-job learning to help drive people across that. And I think there are many different ways of thinking about, about it, but it will vary depending on each person. Because again, I mean, we talked about different roles and skills and experiences, and RevOps is not one role, right? It's so many different different roles within that. So depending on that person, you might have to really help and push on a certain skill versus a certain experience and drive that to make them move, move up the curve. and this is where i would say it's it it takes a lot of um lot of communication between the person you're working with as well as the the coach there so i think it's, it's and it's important in that case to be a good coach and 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 I, know, and I know there are many different frameworks and and ways of thinking about it but what i found really good in terms of coaching is asking as many questions as possible and trying to understand the why behind each piece and again depending on the potential of each each employee sometimes all they need is maybe a nudge in the right direction. And it's really, really crucial. But almost the other part I'll just say is in terms of driving, driving really strong growth and, and and I would say development in anyone's career. I think creating some almost formalized structure around, hey, every month we're going to do a career conversation. Try and understand what's what's really relevant for you. Second, thinking about, and I've seen this simple hack work really well labeling some of your ones maybe once in two weeks as coaching versus one of them because there's so much work to be done again it goes back to we can just spend hours just talking about this work needs to get done how this project this piece that needs to be shipped yesterday not today and so on it is important to create the room and space to really get people into the headspace to share and, and grow so i think that's that's very important
0: let's let's talk about like you know the function itself right it's a little bit So let's say, what's your playbook for setting up a tech stack, right? Because the sales tech stack is the most funded and the most extensive, like, you know, a bunch of applications everywhere, right? And it's super, like, you know, overwhelming for anyone starting to see what to buy, what are the painkillers, what are the vitamins. What do you, such as Shantanu, what's your, like, you know, rule of
1: thumb? Great. And by the way, um, I'm fully with you on the proliferation of sales tech. And I wouldn't go one step. Because if you include marketing tech, um, and and you obviously know this better than me, other I think there are more than ten thousand systems across the revenue tech stack now. I would say almost a collation of systems which I've seen on a page, and it sometimes gives me PTSD to look at that. Um, but really, the 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 answer there is starting with the why again, right? What is your tech stack in service for? So you almost start with, as I mentioned before, to me the, and you probably hear. Get bored of hearing me say these two phrases again and again but the customer life cycle and the talent life cycle and what i mean by that is literally think about your overall customer life cycle right what's what's the process and I almost start one level from okay if you if you draw that out on a, on a on a whiteboard and a piece of paper for your organization from the time you start with outreach to a customer whether it's from it's, it's marketing driven sales driven whatever channel driven even and and in the end if you have a if you have a happy customer that entire funnel and flow and and life cycle, what are the different processes aligned to that? And then to enable those processes, what are systems that you might need? And to me, that, once you have mapped that out in one page, the second piece, and and you're like, what do I I mean by the talent life cycle? It's a very, very generic phrase. To me, it's about planning your headcount across the different go-to-market functions and then thinking about the entire plan. The same way we talked about hiring a rev ops person and growing them think about the plan or budget for hiring your go to market resources how do you onboard them how do you get them to grow and develop how do they how do they get constant learning throughout and how they really move into an engaged um, employee base think about that life cycle and again that's where devops really comes in because everything from having build the plan doing the process doing the assignments assigning books to people like there's so many different elements and roles that people have to play getting people compensated fairly right and then again which part of the life cycle is it impact the most probably more in, in making sure people are engaged and and really performing so what are the different elements there and again to me it's the same the same life cycle what are the processes what are the metrics you're measuring on and again what are the systems that you really need to help drive more value and once you've done that in a, in a page strength then get move from there to what you need and then it and then it's obviously a conversation with where often you're you're not just your go-to-market leadership, but even with your finance teams on what budget do I have? Where can I get some savings? This is where I can get more efficiencies. How do I... um, And another phrase, which is very, very common these days is tech stack consolidation. How do you some of the system one and system two and maybe get some savings to buy system three instead? Interesting.
0: What are your thoughts on, like, you know, the role of commission plans in the context of DevOps? Like like as a DevOps leader, Mm -hmm. how do you look at them? How do you use them?
1: Brilliant, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm. Well, like I mentioned, to me, it's important. Both, in, it's probably one of those pieces which is important in both the customer lifecycle and the talent lifecycle, right? I mean, as I mentioned there, to me, a commission plan is is core because in the end, with with the right commission plan, the right compensation plan, you're really influencing lives. Right? So it's 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 very crucial and core to, uh, especially salespeople who have put their trust in a RevOps team's hands, really, right? Because it is up to the RevOps team to decide what to do with the money. That's that's a lot of responsibility now that you come to think of it. And to me, that's it's very important to start with a commission plan, which is not only aligned to what the company's goals and visions are, but also it should be quite fair and realistic. And that's more like the, the actual plan itself. But to me, even more important is the delivery of it. It has to be very clear, very transparent, why things have happened in a certain way, being able to answer that. And, I, and this is where I've seen a lot of, um, and again, in, in the past, there have been times when I've struggled, and this is where sometimes you're often not very clearly aligned between the company's goals and the and the comp plans. You don't get the results that you want. Second, in terms of the execution, if you cannot really stand behind why a certain comp plan moved in a certain direction. Why a certain payout, like and the amount of time that a RevOps person has to spend in going back, especially in, in companies who are still using spreadsheets to do that, um, on why you got paid a certain amount versus not, and why it happened. Trust me, it is no fun to have to correct someone's payouts. And it's it's a tough, it's a tough challenge for everyone from not just the RevOps team and the finance team involved, but at the core of it, the actual seller who got the wrong comp plan and the wrong number it's it's not it's not a good feeling so it's very crucial to build that credibility and even go back to what i started with to build credibility for a revops team this is probably one of the core things to get right and to get right every single time
0: It's it's been really refreshing to speak with someone with so much clarity in terms of what revops means for them i think uh... I got a little infectious and remembered my RevOps days after. Nice. So, we are going to a... come
1: back to RevOps, Adit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish, I wish, but <laughs> not in <laughs> time. So, we have a few closing questions for the podcast, Chandram. So, I'm sure. just going to ask you three questions. Yes. Uh, are there any specific resources or books you would recommend for someone to scale their career in operations?
1: So, I think, I, I, by the way, I think there's an actual opportunity here for. Someone who's got the experience and the time. I'm I'm hoping to get the second part at some point to actually write something. Uh, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of great combination of different resources in different places. But there's I haven't seen one end all and be all compilation yet. If if someone does do do send it to me. But the part which I found very helpful, especially if I think about as someone looking to learn more and scale their career, I mentioned a few Slack communities. Uh earlier one in particular I found very helpful is uh RevOps Co-op. It's actually been founded by a good friend of mine, Matt Wolum. And um yeah, it's a great place to just get a chance to talk to thousands of uh um, other RevOps practitioners. I, I believe you guys are involved with that as well, right? So it's a great one. yeah.
0: Any any words of wisdom for listeners on like you know who wanna
1: get good at operations?
0: What should they do?
1: Yeah, I think I would go back to the starting point. For a successful person in RevOps, you have to solve the biggest go-to-market problem for your company. And that's why I think, I know we talked about many different things, but at the heart of it, at the core of it, the key barometer by which you'd measure someone being successful in RevOps is, did they make an impact on the final bottom line for the company? and from a go-to-market perspective, there's an every company, it could be it could be churn for a certain company, it could be building in a pipeline for a certain company, thinking about win rates. But how do you really define what is that number one problem? And what are you doing to really help go and solve that problem and make sure you really go in and we talk about different skill sets. How do you bring all of that to the table? But if you can solve the biggest go-to-market problem for your company or trying to solve it, you're heading in the right direction.
0: That's a good, good, good advice. Just focusing on the biggest problem, right? I think even if you solve fifty percent, you'd have still moved a needle.
1: Absolutely, exactly. It's it's and it's a big rock. People talk about moving big rock, big rocks to really drive impact. I think that's where you drive impact.
0: Awesome. And final question, Chandru. back on an audience connect with you? And also, like you know, more about your work. like you know, even you know, yes. I have I you consulting as well. So.
1: Great. So I think the the part where I've been probably the best place to do to connect with me, and it's also because I'm an ex LinkedIn uh, employee, as you mentioned, others. So I think LinkedIn is the, is the is the best place for it. I'm quite active there, um, and yeah, I'd I'd be very welcome to hear any thoughts, comments, and I'm I've also in fact as I mentioned, as you mentioned, I've also created this LinkedIn community, uh, especially for those in EMEA. So I'd be happy to um, welcome them into the fold that brings to the end of today's podcast.
0: I learned so much from Chandru, and I hope you did too. I'm your host, Adit, signing off on today's episode. See you in our next one.